Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Happy New Year, everyone. As we open a new year, we begin season number 10 of the Michigan Man. And I'm looking forward to what should be a very interesting 10th season. Of course, we ended the year on a sour and disappointing note, but you know that by now. Beat writer Cody Stavenhagen from The Athletic Detroit will join us in just a moment with his take on the Peach Bowl and the fallout for Michigan football. First, a few of my thoughts to get us started. There was a point Saturday during the Peach Bowl when I just became numb. I was waiting for the offense to get its footing, play with a sense of urgency, and rally. It was not to be. What made the day even more discouraging was the meltdown of the defense in the second half. Yes, we were without key players and lost Pay and Devin Gill in the second half, but still we just could not find a way to slow down or stop Florida. It was a humiliating and deflating way to end what was one month ago a season with so much promise. Instead, we limp again into winter, as it seems we've done for the better part of the last decade. There are once again many questions to be answered, changes to be made, and so much work to be done. If you are like me, you are wondering if we will ever get back to elite status. One thing is clear, this is a bigger challenge than any of us thought it would be, and probably a bigger job than Jim Harbaugh ever imagined when he took that job four years ago. We can't sit around and cry or complain about it though. We have to go back to work and get better. Easier said than done, we all know that. My guest today has just completed his first year on the Michigan beat for the Athletic Detroit. He is already recognized as one of the best college football writers in America. He told me something interesting at the end of our interview today, that he has found Michigan football to be pretty much what observers in other parts of the country see. A program with great history and a good football team, but no longer elite. That is hard for all of us to hear. But as 2019 begins, that is the sobering reality. Cody Stavenhagen joins me next here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. on our game day segment this week as we take a look at the Peach Bowl and what lies ahead for Michigan football right now is Cody Stavenhagen from the Athletic Detroit. Good to have you back with us, Cody. Yeah, thanks for having me as always. Well, I'll start with the question that I've been asking myself since the game ended on Saturday, Cody. How can a 10-3 and season feel like a bitter disappointment? But clearly for so many Michigan fans, it does feel that way, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's uh, so strange because if you kind of, uh, you know, pan all the way out and look at this one paper, it, it kind of seems like an okay season. I mean, I remember I was talking to uh, I was talking to John Bacon before the start of the year and kind of looking over the schedule, and I think we both kind of said, hey, 
Uh, if Michigan wins 10 games with this schedule, you know, that's that's a pretty good year. It might not be exactly what the fan base wants, but that's a pretty good year. And where you get into trouble is when you actually follow the season and, and watch the games and look at that, you know, nine-game win streak Michigan went on where they were so hot and playing so well and uh, they ascended and they were absolutely expected to beat Ohio State, you know, and then the the wheels just entirely fall off. It, it, so it kind of made it an even bigger letdown for Michigan fans than, than probably if they had lost, you know, another game or two in the middle of the season. I think the reason that there's such a sour taste around this year is because everyone feels like it could have been better that Michigan was in the position to achieve its biggest goals. Instead, the Wolverines totally limp into the new year, uh, still licking their wounds, having lost, the last two games in pretty dramatic and, and frankly disappointing fashion. Talking about the uh, the Peach Bowl on Saturday, though, let's go back to that for a few minutes. The Florida writers I talked to last week said the Gators looked at the Peach Bowl as a huge game. They were excited to be there. It was a trajectory game for them. Is it safe or even fair to say, in your opinion, Michigan did not enter the game or feel that very same way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's really much way you can argue that based on how it unfolded, based on what happened on the field. Uh, yeah, Michigan was, was missing three, really four pretty good players. You know, yeah, they, they maybe didn't get some good breaks in the game. Uh, but you got four, you got beat 41-15 to 15 by a Florida team that is, is not that much better than you. Uh, I expected this to be a close game. I could have seen Florida winning. Uh, probably would have predicted that based on – uh, the talent Michigan was missing, but uh, I don't think anyone really saw 41-15 coming, and it seemed like once Michigan got behind, once a couple things didn't go their way, they, they the team really didn't show much fight. You know, after the game, as, as I wrote about in my story, there just wasn't a lot of emotion. You see that every now and then in teams after, you know, it's kind of like guys are ready to, to pack it up and just move on to next year. Um, that maybe you're, you're sick of the frustration. I mean, I remember at, at Oklahoma covering the basketball team with Trey Young last year that mm-hmm. totally flamed out at the end of the year. And, and uh, the locker room scenes were very comparable where it wasn't, you didn't see crying or yelling or you didn't see uh, a, a lot of guys hugging each other. And you didn't see, you just kind of saw everyone pack up their stuff and, you know, say the right things and walk out. Uh, maybe not even in you know, that there was a lot of uh, hate or controversy within the locker room. That's not what I was trying to say, but I'm, I'm kind of trying to say that it seemed like everyone was just ready to get out of there, to go home and come back in a couple of weeks and, and try to start over. So, you know, I, that, that was kind of the talk all week, that maybe Michigan didn't care, wasn't fully invested in this game. Based on what happened, the Wolverines didn't do anything to dispel that narrative. Well, none of us know for certain what the offensive game plan was heading in Saturday, but it was apparent early Michigan wanted uh, to run the ball. It looked like business as usual as far as uh, schematically, and of course could not. Yes, Karan was missing. Juwan Bushel-Beatty was missing. Given that, no creativity at all in that game plan, was there, Cody? Uh, one thing I don't think got talked about enough on the first couple of drives, Michigan was actually sending a lot of receivers downfield. It, it, it looked like right off the bat, they were kind of trying to generate some big passing plays. Granted, none of those were successful. Part of that was because Michigan couldn't run the ball. 
And then when you had these longer developing routes, Shea Patterson got a lot of pressure. Receivers didn't make, you know, they didn't get open earlier, early in these routes. And then once that didn't get, didn't work, and then once Florida scored, Michigan went back to this very predictable, you know, run up the middle and get stopped game plan. And yeah, it was more of is more of the same. So I actually saw a little evidence that maybe we were going to see something else. Uh, but it didn't work. And that's one thing I think also to consider when we talk about the changes for next year. Michigan has good receivers. You know, you, you think maybe they can spread it out more, but you, you got to alter these, these route trees. You have to, I mean, for as much as the offensive line improved this year, you still have to block a little better if we're talking about the downfield passing game. Um, and, and so, yeah, but when you go back to the Florida game, it turned into more of the same, and, and clearly it was not effective at all. And I think another thing that drove a lot of us bonkers in the second half especially, because we were still in the game, was the tempo of the offense. It was, yeah. you know, really shocking to me, but there was no sense of urgency with the offense in any way, was there? Yeah, there, there, there really wasn't, and that was, uh, you know, it's interesting because Jim Harbaugh hasn't gotten to this point in his coaching career by, um, being clueless, I mean, he's for all you want to say about him, he's not a, a dumb guy. He's a pretty successful and smart football coach. Uh, so I'm not sure why he was content with this this tempo offense or this low tempo, you know, slow moving offense. I mean, I guess that's been his mo to a certain extent, and it's worked for Michigan at at certain points this year. Um, you know, but Florida's running tempo and spreading it out and, and scoring, and you're still in the game and you need to make a comeback and we didn't really see any attempt to change that. And I, I think that's, you know, for as much as you want to talk about, maybe the players didn't care enough. I think that's confounding when you look at Jim Harbaugh and, and Pat Hamilton and whoever else is in there calling plays uh, because I don't see, you know, I, yeah, I, I have absolutely no explanation for uh, why the play calling was what it was in the second half of that game. No, because you do get to a point where, you know, it's fine running the offense the way that Jim likes to run the offense. It really works well when you're ahead. You start to uh, eat up clock. What became apparent in the second half is when you're down a couple of scores, you need to pick it up. So um, it just wasn't an adjustment uh, that was made. And that, to me, is the most surprising thing. Yeah, I, yeah, as I already said, I, I don't think you can argue with that at all. I think it's very, very perplexing. Well, I thought the defense played well enough in the first half, given we were missing a few people, and given um, the fact that Devin Gill went out in the middle of the field opened up. I mean, they had some breakdowns, but overall, I thought they were okay. In the second half, it was just a meltdown, and I really still can't figure that out. Was it all Florida and their scheme or Michigan just failed to make adequate adjustments in the second half, Cody? Where do you think it falls there? Uh, yeah, I think it was a combination. I thought Dan Mullen's Florida team ran a really good offensive game plan and, and was able to create some space. At the same time, you know, there were a couple plays where it was just total Michigan breakdowns, and it resembled Ohio State a little bit, where you had Florida guys running wide open in space. Michigan guys weren't getting off blocks. Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say the defense mailed it in a little bit in the second half. Um, and then at the same time, I mean, this was a Michigan defense that was still, you know, the top one or two in the country entering this game, and, and you allow 41 points to Florida. That's not really how it's supposed to work, at least based on the reputation of this Michigan defense. And, yeah, you know, without Bush and, and uh, Gary, it, it is a little bit different. But we saw 
some repeated issues that I think are concerning, which is not being able to cover the slot, um, safeties just really struggling in man coverage or not adjusting over the top. Um, again, it would, Devin Bush not being there made a huge difference, but Michigan just got torched over the middle of the field, both in the, in the passing game and kind of moving sideline to sideline in the running game. And those are kind of issues that we saw against Ohio State that we've seen uh, at a couple points this season and even last season, and nothing has really changed. So I think that's concerning is that it was some similar things and there was there was really no level of adjustment. And then once it got to a certain point, it was almost like it was too late. Cody, are those issues you just mentioned, you know, the coverage uh, with the safeties over the middle and the linebackers having some problems too, is that all speed or is that schematics too? Uh, you know, I think at a certain point when you're talking about man coverage, that's, uh, you know, that's about speed and that's about talent. And, you know, Tyree Kennel is, is a good safety and Josh Metalis is a, a good safety, but do they have that top end speed you want? Uh, I don't think, I don't think either of them quite do and not either of them are good enough, you know, man cover safeties. And you now maybe you could argue some of that scheme. Why are they being put in those positions so often? You know, I'm not a defensive coordinator, so I'm not going to go too far into that. Uh, obviously, the big silver lining here is next year you bring in Dax Hill, who I think everyone uh, believes is, is supposed to be kind of the remedy to this, that he, is, he has elite speed as a safety. Um, on tape, seems to be pretty good in man coverage, and maybe that's kind of Michigan's answer to this specific problem. But, yeah, you know, obviously the – speed disparity between Florida and Michigan, you know, I I think it certainly showed a little bit in that game. Well, you know, after the game online and emails that I've been getting in the last two days, speed is the the topic that a lot of our fans want to talk about. I think because they kept hearing that during the game that there was a differential there. You know, I'm not so sure. I go go back to the 60s and in the last 10 years, Michigan's 8-6 against the SEC, so maybe the SEC wasn't very fast for eight years. I don't know, but we hear that a lot as the the big differentiator uh, when we're playing SEC teams. But, you know, to me, uh, Florida utilized their speed. You you heard Brock Heward t- talking during the game saying he had seen a lot of Florida this year, and they were doing a lot of different things to get the ball to people in open space, using Felipe Franks to run the ball more than he has all year. So they they did different things with their talent. And to me, that was the big difference in this game is Michigan did not utilize their speed to do something different. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation because Michigan obviously has talent um, on the edge, especially if we're talking offense. Uh, we, you know, everyone's talking about the trio of receivers and Peoples Jones and uh, Nico Collins and Tariq Black. And a lot of people have pointed out that those three guys were not on the field at the same time. Uh, for more than just a handful of plays in that game, which I think certainly has to change last uh, next year. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones has elite speed. He can play and be one of the fastest players on the team at any program in the country. I still feel like maybe your offense lacks quite the, the level of speed you want. Nico Collins is a deep threat possession receiver, and that's what he needs to be. Uh, Tariq Black, though, was built in a fairly similar mold. I, Michigan doesn't have, you know, that one difference maker. They don't have a, you know, I don't know. I think there's a little room to improve your speed on offense. I think on defense, you're, it's, it's interesting because you have uh, big-time recruits and guys who are going to play in the NFL and who are totally qualified for it. But if you look, you know, David Long and LaVert Hill are great 
cover corners, but they're not going to uh, really, you know, dominate the NFL combine. They're not necessarily four, three, four, four corners. Um, so even though they're really good and ultra talented, you know, I, I think there is some argument to be made that, yeah, Michigan can still get uh, more athletic skill players and perhaps that would make a difference. But at the end of the day, there's, there's certainly not a lack of talent at Michigan by any means. So a lot of it still falls on the coaching staff. Well, last week um, I said that we all knew Michigan didn't want to be in the Peach Bowl. You could just the the fans uh, fan base, I should say, because uh, it was just uh, all I've heard for the last few weeks from uh, listeners. But playing well and winning would have sent them into the off season workouts on a positive note. And you really can't underestimate that. Instead, this is going to be a long winter of soul searching and hard work for the entire program. Yeah, very much like last year, um, you're kind of back where you have these big questions to answer, and it's how do you get over the hump, how do you erase this, you know, not just that, how do you erase this, you know, very bitter taste from these flat performances at the end of the year? Um, everyone's talking about how Jim Harbaugh needs to change the offense. I'm sure Jim Harbaugh is giving a lot of thought to how he can change the offense and what he'll do. I think the good news is he now has you know, eight months to, to think about it and to come up with some sort of answer. Uh, but at some point it gets repetitive for Michigan. And then I know I'm not saying anything new here, but the question gets thrown around a lot. Is this kind of Michigan ceiling? Is this a 10 and three program? You know, you look historically, that's even in the Bo Schimbeckler era, you know, 10, 10 or 11 wins has kind of been it, which is great. Uh, but how do you get to that college football playoff level? How do you win? a national championship. Um, it's, I mean, those are, those are very tough questions to answer. Uh, but that's why Jim Harbaugh and his staff get paid a lot of money to figure it out. Um, obviously you have Shea Patterson back at quarterback, which I think is very good news. I think Shea Patterson's extremely talented, but he also has a lot of questions to answer. He's going to have to take his game to another level, regardless of what plays are being called. I think if you look at the talent that's back on offense, that's extremely encouraging a couple of big spots to fill in defense. Um, but as long as Don Brown comes back, which with that Temple job open now is, is something to watch, I think you can feel good about the defense. So, again, there's a lot of room for optimism. Um, but, but getting to that next level, clearing this bar, is still something Michigan will have to answer next year. Well, as you said, a lot of questions that need to be answered over the uh, off season through the winter. But, you know, the growing sentiment from the fan base, and I think this drumbeat's been picking up uh, – in the last couple of years is a lot of people, even on the outside, think Jim needs uh, to name an offensive coordinator. And up to now, he has uh, resisted that. He talks about collaboration, and, and we all know what he says about it, but that is something you would think. And Jim, is he's, he is stubborn, but he's very smart, and he hasn't gotten to this point in his career by being dumb. He knows uh, if that maybe helps push this team over the top, which he talked about on Saturday night, where we just need to get over the top. That's maybe something he needs to do is name an offensive coordinator. Yeah, you know, I don't know exactly what it's like to be in Jim Har to be Jim Harbaugh and to be in those coaching offices, but uh, just from a very outside perspective, I think if I were him, I would name an offensive coordinator. I think where you get into trouble is the fact that you have Pep Hamilton as your kind of your passing game coordinator and your your quarterback coach under a massive contract. You're paying him in excess of a million dollars. 
That was a move Jim Harbaugh made two off seasons ago and it's him to improve his passing game and improve his quarterback play. Well, Pep Hamilton is very much from the Jim Harbaugh school of thought. He's worked with him before at multiple places. He's not necessarily the guy who, if you suddenly make him the full-time play caller, is going to shake up the offense. And I don't think you can bring in an offensive coordinator with Pep Hamilton still here and under contract. So I think that's where Michigan has kind of backed itself into a little bit of a corner where you're, I, I don't know, I think if you're a fan, maybe you're hoping Pep Hamilton finds himself a head coaching job or finds himself somewhere to go. I don't think Pat Hamilton will be uh, fired by any means. And Jim Harbaugh said post game, he didn't expect any changes with the coaching staff. Obviously all that's fluid, but I think it's a really interesting conversation where unless something changes, I, I would be surprised to see Michigan name an offensive coordinator next year. Yeah. It's a, sort of a conundrum uh, given uh, what's going on with the staff. If Pep stays, you're right. He's making big bucks. To me, the guy that makes the most sense is already on your staff, and that's Ed Warner. Yeah, I but, agree. But he's making 300000 350000 whatever it is, and that uh, wouldn't have a good look if you name him the offensive coordinator and Pep is still yeah. there. Yeah, I think Ed Warner is a guy that I think it's it's um, you know paramount, absolutely crucial that Michigan keep Ed Warner around for another year, uh, whether that's as a play caller or not. Uh, one of the things, if you make him offensive coordinator, he can't work near as closely with the offensive line, and he really worked wonders with the offensive line this season, and I think that was maybe the biggest reason Michigan was kind of in this place to contend and, and win nine games in a row in the first place. Uh, you could see a lot of Ed Warner's impact on the offense this year with some of these read option schemes. You know, I think he had a pretty big hand in a lot of Michigan game plans. And I think he's, I mean, he's proven as an offensive coordinator um, at Ohio state, obviously at some other places, I think he would be a very good fit to run more of a, you know, kind of a power spread like he did at Ohio state where you can still have elements of an old school Jim Harbaugh offense, but modernize it a little bit. Um, but the, the, the question is, will that happen? How do you make it happen? How do you make it happen with Pep Hamilton? You know, I, I have no idea, but I think uh, Ed Werner's presence is really good for this program. It will be interesting to see what he's thinking and, and if he's back next year. Mm-hmm. Cody, I know this is your first year uh, covering the team on the beat, so maybe this is not a fair question, but I think even being here through one season, my, you're going to have an opinion on this, but can you sense the sentiment of the fan base changing now, even though this was a 10 and three year on the question of whether Jim is the right guy long-term for the job. Uh, you feel it right now. You feel it in the aftermath of, you know, two pretty embarrassing losses. Uh, but this will be my first full off season to be around. So I'm interested to see how it changes, you know, when we're into July and August again, because then the, the talk will probably uh, circle back to how talented Michigan is and how great the schedule looks next year and how next year could be the year. And it seems like that's another one of those things that's a little bit cyclical at most places and, and especially at Michigan. Now, like you alluded to earlier, does this mean more more pressure on uh, Jim Harbaugh as a result of that? Well, certainly so. Um, you know, you can kick the can down the line for as long as you want at a certain point. Jim Harbaugh can't be 0-12 against Ohio State, you know, with, with no Big Ten titles. So what's the breaking point? You know, that's that's such a hard question to answer. But I would say right now, yeah, you, you do sense a little more impatience or 
really a lot more questioning from the fan base about the future of this program. I still think it's premature to, to say Jim Harbaugh is on the hot seat or whatever, but right now the, sh- the tone is a little bit different and I'll be interested to see, yeah, what that's like when we're into the summer. Well, I think we all know he's not on the hot hot seat for his job, but from a fan perspective, a season ticket holder perspective, do you think it's safe to say the way the fan base looks at it, the 2019 is a make it or break it year for Jim Harbaugh, or do you even believe in those things? Uh, yeah, a tough question to answer because when I took this job and, and it was last summer, everyone's saying this was a make it or break it year mm-hmm. for Jim Harbaugh. So, and and uh, I think you know we've heard that before. So, what's truly a make it or break it year? Uh, it's probably not until he's really on the hot seat. And what would cause that to happen? I'm not sure because then we get back into the old you know, kind of the old logic of, well, who's a better hire at Michigan? Who's going to do better? Who, not that many people beat Ohio State. What's it take for Michigan to get to such a level? Uh, hard to say, but I think every year, you know, that those things don't happen, I guess in a way it does become a little bit more make or break. Well, Cody, it was uh, your first year on the Michigan beat. As you said, it's going to be your first off season around uh, the program. And uh, for those fans who, who who do not subscribe to The Athletic, I suggest uh you get online, check it out. It is great stuff. You churned out some just really great stories this year. But as you look back on your first year around Michigan football, you came from covering Oklahoma football last year. What is your overall impression of the program and its fan base? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, the number one thing I really liked about being around Michigan is the um, kind of the passion and the reverence for um, history and and heck for being informed for reading you know my stories and the coverage of others you can tell that uh that fans are really informed and and smart and uh all fans are prone to be a little irrational at times but i think michigan fans have actually been uh a little more level-headed than uh honestly than the oklahoma fan base so i've enjoyed interacting with the michigan fans and just kind of the culture around the program the program itself, um, especially after the way this year ended, it's it is kind of funny in that it's it's maybe a little more what a lot of people on the outside think Michigan is, which is a uh, a good a good program, but not quite great, uh, but but trying to be great. And uh, you know, how do you make that happen? It's it's hard to say. It's very interesting, as you would expect, covering. Jim Harbaugh every day. Um, sometimes it's interesting because it's not interesting, if that makes any sense. Um, so being around Harbaugh is, is certainly uh, a challenge. Um, but as, as I've always said, you can't you can't say the guy's not a good football coach. Um, so I don't know. Those are just a few takeaways of um, of being around Michigan. Well, it's going to be a long winter, and uh, you're going to have a lot to write about. It's, uh, it's not going to be dull at all as we uh, go through winter workouts and spring football coming up. So it's going to be fun reading what you have to say. So, again, we thank you for all the time you gave us during the season. Uh, our guest today is Cody Stavenhagen from The Athletic Detroit. And maybe as we get into spring football, Cody, we'll, uh, we'll get you back on here and see if, if anything's changed. But as always... Thank you for your time, and Happy New Year, Cody. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on this year. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew.
On Quick Hits today, we begin our 10th season on the air with a busy winter on the Michigan athletic scene. As always, football will never be far from our thoughts, but it's time to pay more attention to Michigan hoops, men and women's, also hockey, and we will once again have Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports back monthly with one of our most popular topics, football recruiting. As 2019 begins, Coach B and his team are 13-0, And from now until the NCAA tournament, it's all Big Ten action. We are 2-0 in conference play, and we'll have Penn State at Chrysler on Thursday, Indiana on Sunday for a national game at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Coach Barnes-Arico and the ladies ended 2018 by handing number 12 Minnesota their first loss of the season. It was an impressive 76-60 win on Saturday at Chrysler. We are 10-4 and four overall, 1-1 one and one in Big Ten play. Next action is Saturday in West Lafayette against Purdue. Hockey ended the year with a 2-2 tie in the GLI against the Spartans. It was, as you might expect, a very chippy game and featured a bench-clearing brawl. We are off to a 6-7-6 and six start and will be back in action this weekend against Notre Dame. So as we begin 2019, we're going to put football to rest for a while. I think we all need a break anyway. Between hoops and hockey, we have a lot to look forward to in the coming weeks. And believe it or not, in five weeks, softball starts, and baseball will be back a week or so after that. As usual, I'll be here with you each week. So thanks for a great 2018, and I hope you'll join me each week as we begin this new year. One I hope that is filled with much success for all of us, for the show, and Michigan Athletics. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until next time, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!